Good morning. We'd like to welcome you to church this morning. Please stand and join us as we begin our service of worship by singing our praises to God together.
I sing for all that you've done for me. Father, we thank you for all that you've done for us, and we've come today to worship you, to offer our lives to you, and we pray that uh, you will help us to experience you anew in this hour of worship. Be glorified in our singing, in the reading of your word, in all the ways in which uh, we engage you and each other in worship today, and we pray this through Christ. Amen. Please be seated. We are privileged this morning to welcome Alan Shea. We've uh, supported Alan Sherry for a number of years. They've been in Liberia and uh, were, had to come home because of the Ebola crisis. And uh, Alan's going to share just a little bit about uh, what's happening there. He's going to uh, share quickly here and then head over to Kaleidoscope uh, to uh, share in that Sunday school class this morning. So uh, we are excited to have Alan here and hear what uh, God is doing in them and uh, in Africa. Good morning. I'm so glad to be here this morning. Um, we left Liberia in a bit of a hurry back in April. It's already nine, ten months ago uh, because of the Ebola outbreak that was uh, getting ever closer to us and our three little boys. Um, shortly after we left, the ELWA hospital where we've been working had their first Ebola patients. And uh, things kind of went crazy after that. Um, And then uh, in July, it kind of exploded onto the world when uh, Dr. Kent Brantley, our former neighbor, was diagnosed with Ebola. Before we had a chance to get over that shock, the next day we heard that uh, the wife of my colleague, Nancy Wrightball, also was diagnosed with Ebola. Those were kind of dark days, and uh, many of you prayed along with us at that time. We really appreciated that. I really felt in my bones that one of them was not going to leave Liberia. But the Lord worked out a miracle. They were both medevaced to Emory University and were released Ebola-free. That is a huge answer to prayer. Since that time, in the last six months, I've been working very hard from where we are in Indiana, writing reports and uh, finding support uh, for the keep the hospital going and keep the uh, work going in Liberia. The Elwa Hospital was the first had the first Ebola treatment unit in Monrovia, and it's been the only Ebola treatment unit open continuously since the beginning, and it has been the only hospital open for anything but Ebola. All the hospitals, all of the healthcare in Liberia completely shut down, and uh, many hundreds of people have died of simple diseases that couldn't get care. It was kind of fitting in some ways that the Eternal Love Winning Africa Hospital was the only place of hope for so many. Elwa has also been helping other hospitals reopen, training them in the uh, triage techniques that they've worked out. And we've been really honored to have uh, the Elwa Hospital Medical Director, Jerry Brown, honored on the uh, cover of Time magazine, along with the other persons of the year, the Ebola fighters. It's been kind of exciting seeing what God's been doing. Uh, on Tuesday, I fly to Southern California to receive, sort of pick up, three containerized water treatment plants that Parker Hannafin is donating and they'll be shipped off next week to Liberia. 
uh, to help with the hospital. After all these thousands of deaths in the last nine months uh, since this began over a year ago, um, it's really encouraging to, to hear the news this week that there were only two new Ebola cases in Liberia in the last week. And nationwide, they only had 10 patients in uh, treatment. It may be getting to the end of Ebola. We pray it will. But it's not going to be the end of this uh, epidemic. There's a lot of social stigma for the people who've survived. Um, They have been shunned by family and by their neighbors. Um, There's hundreds of Ebola orphans, many of whom have lost their entire extended family. Um, the economies of these three countries are in tatters. People's lives have been completely disrupted. There's a lot of work to be done. There's a lot of room for the church and God's people to bring hope and healing to people. And we covet your continued prayers. Thank you for, your, for praying and for your generous gifts that have helped in this work. Continue to pray for us. We don't know when we'll get to go back. It's probably going to be four or five more months. My kids ask every day, when can we go home? (laughs) Thank you. Let's stand as we continue in worship together.
morning stars they wept, the morning sun was dead, the Savior of the world was fallen, his body on the cross, his blood poured out for us, the weight of every curse upon him. One final breath he gave, and on that blackest day, the Son of God was made in dark.
be seated. I'd like to invite the ushers forward to assist us in the giving of our tithes and offerings.
As we come to this time of prayer, I want to mention to you that uh, Alton Shea uh, died yesterday, early yesterday morning, and we want to, of course, be in prayer for his family and friends. His service, memorial service, will be next Sunday at 3 o'clock here at the church, and uh, so to make you aware of that. And there are other needs I know that are on our hearts and minds as we gather for worship. As we pray together, if you'd like to come and use the altar rail as the place where you offer your prayers, please come and join me. Gracious Father, we thank you that you have called us to pray. We come to this moment of prayer because we know we need you. Because we know that you alone are the answer to the burdens that we bring. Because you are perfectly good, perfectly holy, and perfectly powerful to answer our prayers in the way you know is best. This morning we pray for all who grieve. We think especially of the family and friends of Alton Shea. We ask for your comforting presence upon each of them. We pray for all who are struggling with illness and pain. And we think especially of, of Jill Tyson and Priscilla Waltz. We pray for Vesta Mullen and Tim Nichols and Bruce Brenham and for Bill Roski, for Bev Rett and Micah Christensen and Linda Roth, and for Isla Shea, Dick Gould, Edna Howard, Crystal Blake, Emily Crickler, and others who are on our minds and hearts today. We pray for your healing grace on each of them. We pray for our local institutions. Thank you for each of them. And we ask that you would pour out your rich blessings upon every person who is connected and involved with each institution. Pray that you would do great things in these coming months. We pray for the medical dental team that's even now in Haiti. We pray that their ministry there will be powerful, that it will that it will help people in the the needs of their lives and that it will help to draw them to you and to see your loving kindness and your grace to them and that there will be transformation that takes place because they're there. We pray, Father, for the ongoing need of the Ebola crisis, particularly in Africa, but wherever the need is. And we ask for your healing grace upon all who are ill. We pray for your comfort upon all who are grieving. We pray to bring an end to this terrible tragedy. We also pray for our brothers and sisters who gather for worship today knowing that they're putting their livelihood, their lives in jeopardy. Protect them. Keep them safe in you. Give them courage. May they know your presence and our prayers. We pray that you would fill them with your peace in the midst of very volatile situations. Lord, we pray for people in this world who are most vulnerable. 
particularly to the machinations of greed and power, violence and war. We ask, Father, for your grace upon each of them and for your church in the midst of them that they will somehow, through your people, through the witness of your spirit, know your loving kindness. Father, we pray that you would teach us anew this day and every day that this is the day you have made. Give us grace to rejoice and be glad in it. We pray that you would continue to deepen our realization of who you are and that we would continue to cling to you for strength and transformation. We pray all of this through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The scripture reading for this morning is John 6, 35 through 59. Following the tradition of the church, I invite you to stand for the reading of the gospel. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, You have seen me, and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. At this, the Jews there began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread, of lo- the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Very truly, I tell you, The one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. 
Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Before you're seated, take a moment, share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship today. You do realize that we are right smack in the middle between two of the great food holidays of our culture. You know, Christmas, I mean, Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, a lot of food involved with that. You know, I, sometimes I wonder if that's not the reason we do those holidays. You know, most, a lot of it's about, we surround about food. And on the coming up, the Super Bowl. <laughs> right? I mean, let's be honest. How many people really are there to watch the game? We're there to eat the pizza and the wings. That, that's what it's about, right? I mean, we're right smack in the middle of these things. It, the reality is we, we love to eat. And food makes up a whole lot of why we get together and is at the center of our getting together. And, and we love food. We love to eat. And sometimes food is great joy to us. Sometimes... It's a nemesis to us. You know, we love it. We, we love to eat and we love to get together and eat. Sometimes we regret what we eat. Sometimes the next day we wish we hadn't have eaten as much of what we ate as we did. It, it's sort of this double-edged sword that we live with when it comes to food. But as much as we are interested in food, God has always been interested in food. You know, Adam and Eve are created... He talks to them about what they can eat. You come to the Old Testament, Israel's being established as a nation. He has all these dietary laws about what they can eat and what they can't eat. And sometimes we read through those and we think, well, this is kind of weird. But you remember in their culture, a lot of it had to do with health, had to do with their safety. And what was best for them, most nourishing for them. And now we come to John chapter 6, and Jesus has this conversation with some people about food. This is on the heels of what we didn't read, but at the beginning of chapter 6, Jesus is out teaching the people, and there's this huge crowd. The count is 5,000 men. So probably if you add women and children, you've probably got 10, 12, maybe 15,000 people. And they've been there all day listening to Jesus teach. He must be pretty good at it because all of a sudden they realize, hey, we're hungry. And Jesus says to the disciples, I'm worried about these people that haven't had anything to eat. You feed them. And the disciples freak out. How are we going to feed this many people? And it ends up being this great miracle of Jesus feeding the 5,000 with a few loaves and a few fish and just continuing to multiply. I'm hoping when we get to heaven, I get to see an instant replay of exactly how he did that. 
You know, was it behind the back kind of thing? Was it just sort of pulling things out of it? But what ends up happening is now the next day, which is the passage we read, they're coming looking for Jesus again because they, have, they think of him as sort of this magic food person. That he will pull food out of a hat and they don't have to work anymore. They don't, to, they don't have to go looking for food, prepare food. Let's just hang out with Jesus. He'll feed us. And Jesus gets a little bit irritated with them because they've missed the point. Yes, he is concerned about their physical health and the fact that they eat. And it's a part of the holistic gospel that Jesus comes to bring for his creatures. But he says to them, I also want to feed your souls. I have come from God. See, their problem is... They, the, all they're thinking about is their stomachs, and Jesus wants to speak to them about their souls too. Not in replacing, he doesn't care about their stomachs, but it's in addition. We have a tendency to do the opposite. But here is Jesus saying to them, and, and gets in this conversation about manna. And it goes back to Exodus chapter 16. The Israelites are in the wilderness. They're grumbling to God about, I don't have anything to eat. We don't have anything to eat. And he says, all right, every morning... When you get up, there's going to be this stuff on the ground, this white stuff, and that's your food. They get up the first morning, they look at it, and they go, what is that? What is it? They call it manna because that's what manna means. The word manna in Hebrew means, what is it? They don't know. They have no idea what it is. It looks like coriander. It's got coriander seed and some honey, wafer-like things. It kind of makes me think of rice cakes. No wonder they grumbled having to eat that for 40 years, right? So they, they, they and, but the manna is symbolic for them of God's presence with them and God's care for them. In fact, they take a piece of manna and they put it in the Ark of the Covenant. It is that valuable, that important to them to remind them of how God cared for them and fed them for 40 years. And now they're saying, look, the sign of God with us was manna. That was our sign every morning that God cared about us. You say you've come from God, what's your sign? What's the sign that you're really from God? And Jesus says, if you think the manna was something, I'm the bread of life. I am not just food for your bodies, I'm food for your souls, eternal food. And I've come for you to feed your soul, to transform you, to make you into new people. And everybody who eats of me will be changed. You know, this, bread is sort of the universal staple of the world. Most cultures, bread is at the heart of every meal. And, you know, it, it is something that, that Jesus, Jesus takes that term because it is so important to their culture. And it's just sort of this generic use word for food and it says i've come to be the bread of life for you i've come to transform you i've come to be the presence of god to you and i love the way verse verse 53 in the message talks about how we are nourished if we have a healthy appetite for jesus who's the bread of life having a healthy appetite it's this yearning, it's a hungering for Jesus is what he's asking of us. And the minute I start thinking about hungering, I, think, I automatically go to Matthew 5, 6. 
Where Jesus in the Beatitudes says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. What does it mean to hunger for Jesus? What does it mean to hunger and thirst for righteousness? It is this yearning in us for Jesus. Not a yearning for the Jesus that we have created in our own image. Not a yearning for Jesus in the box that we make for him. But a yearning for Jesus to be who he is. For Jesus to be who he says he is. And a hungering, a yearning for Jesus means that we want to, we want to speak as Jesus speaks. We want to think like Jesus thinks. We want to act like Jesus acts. Instead of trying to confine Jesus, we want to set Jesus free. And we want all of our life to be shaped by Jesus. This hungering, this yearning for him. And Jesus says he's the bread of life and if we hunger for him, we'll be blessed. But, he, but it's not just hungering for him. You know, you can sit at a table and have this awesome meal put in front of you. And it smells great and it looks great. But if you don't eat it, you don't gain anything from it. We get no nourishment from looking at food. We get no nourishment from smelling food. We get nourishment from eating food. And Jesus says, you have to hunger for me, but ultimately you have to eat what I'm offering. He uses a word here in John 6 and Verse 54, 56, 58, he used the word when he says, some translations talk about eating, some talk about feeding on him. But he uses the word, and there are a lot of words, different words in Greek that you could translate eat. But this word has the essence of chewing. So in essence, he's saying, come to me, I'm the bread of life, and those of you who chew on me will be nourished. I have to tell you, I am a, I'm a fast eater. And I don't mean that to be something good. I, I get this, I mean, this is, this is genetic in me to some degree. My father has always been a fast eater. He's a fast eater because his mother was a super fast eater. I mean, I have been at my grandmother's house. She's a great cook. She was a phenomenal cook. I've been at my grandmother's house. We're sitting around the table in her house. And we're, we're in the middle of eating. And the rule, of her, in her mind, the rule was when she's done, everybody's done. So, I mean, I, I, I kid you not, I've been to the table, I'm eating, I'm, and she starts picking up everybody's plates. She's done. And I've been in mid-bite and my plate is gone. I still have food on it. I'm still eating it. My dad's mom, we're not done yet. It's time for dessert. Come on, let's go. We got to be moving through this. Let's do it. And I think because of that, I never really learned to savor food. It was more a case of how fast can you eat it. Always about quantity, not quality. And I think sometimes we treat Jesus, the bread of life, that way. How fast can we do our devotions? We make the checklist. You know, we we do our spiritual disciplines and it's all about just getting it done so we can move on to something else. And Jesus here at least is intimating there is a sense of slowing down. Of savoring who he is and what he's done for us. And why he's here. What it means for him to be the bread of life. That we chew on it. 
in reading the scripture, the goal is not how much can I read necessarily, but am I engaging what I'm reading? Am I reading it in such a way that, that God's spirit is able to speak into, into my soul? When I pray, it's not about I've got my checklist to pray off, but it's, it's, it's engaging Christ in prayer. When we're in relationships with people, it's not, well, I got that meeting out of the way, but it's, it's really engaging in a person's life. We slow it down. And we eat, we chew, we savor what Christ comes to bring. You know, when we, when we eat in the, the, our diet, there, there are things about food that probably some foods all of us ought to be eating for our health. And there are some foods that we probably shouldn't be eating too much of for our health. And we understand that. But there are also some foods and some things that we eat that are specific to who we are. There are things that you can eat that probably wouldn't be good for me and things I can eat might not be good for you. Since I was a small child, I have wrestled with migraine headaches. And I have lately discovered, and I've been in denial about this for a while, is that coffee is one of my headache triggers. And I keep, Lord, couldn't it be something else? Couldn't it be broccoli? Uh, You know, I love coffee. You know, I love the aroma of coffee when you pop open the the container, when it's brewing. I love the taste of coffee. I don't put anything in it, just black. I love the caffeine from coffee. And, and, you know, I mean, I I love it. Now, I, I have learned, I did learn through the years that if I eat sweets with coffee, it doesn't affect me as much. So that's worked quite well for me for a while. <laughs> Take a bite of a donut, sip of coffee. Bite a donut, sip of coffee. But that's not good either. So I've kindly come to the realization that I just can't drink coffee anymore. And so it's decaf and it's tea. And, you know, I, I miss that. But it would be wrong for me to say, look, this is a problem for my health. So you can't drink coffee anymore because it's bad for you. Bad for your health too. I wouldn't do that. But sometimes we do that with spiritual stuff. Now, this is what God is saying to me. So he must be saying that to you. This is the way I engage Christ. So you have to engage Christ the same way. Now, there are some general things that all of us need to be taking heed of. We all ought to be paying attention and, and realize, Micah 6, act justly, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. That's a non-negotiable for all of us. The Ten Commandments, non-negotiable for all of us. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbors yourself. That's a non-negotiable for all of us. Being in the scriptures and being people of prayer, non-negotiables. But how we read scripture, the pace, the what we read, how we go about praying. You know, for some, we probably all ought to have some time for solitude. But some people, it just, that is what feeds their soul. And solitude is what they run toward. Others of us are fed as much by activity for God. Some people, I mean, we're all called to be generous. But some people are called to be extravagantly generous. You read the scriptures, there's really only one person that I can think of who is asked to sell everything they have and give it to the poor. 
Not everyone is asked to do that. We're all asked to be generous. But Christ knows who we are. He knows our personalities. He knows the things that, that the way we need to be nourished, our shortcomings and the difficulties that, that we are going to face and the ways in which we engage him most effectively. And it's not going to be the same for all of us. And that's the that's the beauty of Jesus, who's the bread of life, is that he nourishes us in the way, he feeds us in the way that's best. He understands what we need. And he, he doesn't necessarily say the same thing to you as he says to me about some of these issues and some of the ways in which we eat of him. Our diets are going to look a little bit different, and that's okay. That's what's so awesome about Jesus and who he is to us. He doesn't just paint this blanket picture and say, now everybody's got to fit into this mold. He created us uniquely, and he works with us uniquely. And, And I love the fact that we all have to eat our own food. You know, we... I can't, I can't eat for you, and you can't eat for me. We don't get nourished by watching other people eat. Probably discouraging watching other people eat. But we can't help each other eat. Sometimes we feed each other. We prepare food for each other. We encourage each other. You know, one of the great things about eating is that it's so much more fun to do it together. I mean, how difficult is it if you're in the dining hall or the cafeteria or in a restaurant to eat by yourself? You know, most of us don't really feel comfortable. We don't like that. We try anything to avoid that. There's something about eating with other people. Some of the best ideas that have ever been thought of have happened around a table as a group of people are interacting with each other. And we help each other. Just as we can help each other with our physical food to eat better things, as we encourage each other with that, so spiritually we encourage each other. Even if our diets are different, it's what the church is about, that we we nurture one another, we help each other, we encourage each other about eating the food of Christ. Because let's be honest, we don't always want to eat what Christ is offering. I mean, on our culture, advertising clearly is calling us to indulge in junk food, right? I mean, that's what most advertising is. And all I have to, and that's what we tend to gravitate toward if we just choose anything, right? I mean, if I just say Krispy Kreme, M&M's, Doritos, Pringles, I mean, your mouth starts to water a whole lot more than if I say cabbage and kale, Right? <laughs> And those things are okay, but we also need some cabbage and kale. And so we, you know, we, we have this, this sense of, we, we have this feeling sometimes that everything about Christ is just cabbage and kale. And we know what's good for us, but it's not very exciting. And we look at what other people are eating and that looks a lot more fun. but it's simply because we're not seeing it the way Jesus is. And it's not that everything about Christ is limiting us. We think it is. 
We think sometimes that the diet of Christ as the bread of life is just confining and limiting. It is not. It's the best thing in the world. Because is our ultimate goal just to to eat food that is exotic and exciting? Or is it to be nourished and to be healthy? And Jesus, the bread of life, offers us health. It's what's so awesome about this declaration that he makes. He's saying, I I want to give you what is healthy and good for you. And sometimes that involves these great desserts that we get to enjoy. And sometimes it involves food that may not be quite as exciting, may not grab our taste buds quite as much, but it's good for us and we need it. And the great thing about the kingdom and about Jesus as the bread of life is that he gives us a balanced diet. See, we have convinced ourselves that it's all hard stuff and it's not even close to that. I think about what the prophet Jeremiah says or what God says to him. I know my plans for you. They're not to harm you, but to prosper you. And when we start eating Jesus, the bread of life, when we are feeding on him, when we are surrendered to him and open to him and our lives are about him, we discover that the bread of life is always good. It's grace and love and peace and joy and transformation. It is life and health. It is what we were created to experience. It is the satisfaction and the fulfillment of the deepest longings and hungerings of our hearts and our souls. That's what Jesus comes to bring. And it's more amazing and awesome than we could ever imagine. Back when I was in grade school, our family went to a state park one week in Indiana for a vacation. And uh, as was always our practice when we were on vacations, we always went to church on Sunday wherever we were. That led to some interesting experiences. Uh, we used to go down to Tennessee on vacation and we out in the, in the mountains. And we used to go with this other family to the Macedonia Missionary Baptist Church. And that place was wild. If they had pulled out snakes, I wouldn't have been surprised for a minute. I mean, it was craziness. And we, so we, I've been to all kinds of places. And this year, that year we decided that the, the park offered a service on Sunday morning, so we just stay there. So we got up that morning, 7.30, 8 o'clock. We had a big breakfast, which was unusual. My dad was a pastor, so usually Sunday mornings are kind of rushing around and getting out the door. So we had this big breakfast, bacon, eggs, pancakes, sausage, you know, the whole thing. And so and the service was about 9 o'clock. And so we went over to where this outdoor service and we're sitting in these chairs. There were probably 50, 60 people there. And when the minister got done with the sermon, he began to introduce communion. And as he was talking about it, we had trays with bread in them and trays with cups in them. And we were passing them down the rows back and forth. And the five of us were sitting there, my two sisters, my mom and dad, and my younger sister, who was probably five or six years old, was sitting next to me at the end of the five of us. And the tray came down the row from this end, and there was a gentleman sitting next to her. And he took the tray from the person next to him, and he took off a piece of bread, and he turned and he handed it to my sister. And my little sister looked at him, and as 
with complete innocence, said to him, oh, no thank you, I couldn't eat another bite. The guy, I could watch, I watch his face. It's like his face is curling up and he's trying not to break out in laughter. I'm on the floor in embarrassment. We have teased my sister about that for 45 years. But you know, sometimes we do that with Jesus. You know, Lord, I'm, I'm kind of full right now. I've already, I'm, I'm fine. I'm Okay. And you contrast that to what I hear so often on food shows. Cindy and I, as I said before, we love watching food competitions on Food Network and other, other places. And it always interests me the things that they say on these food shows. I have heard so many judges say, this is love on a plate. What does that even mean? <laughs> I, I don't have no idea what that means. It's just this food. Or they'll say, I can really sense your passion in this dish. What? You know, you really cook with passion. I'm thinking, yeah, you can cook with passion, but wouldn't it be better to use a cookbook? But, you know, somehow it must communicate because the chefs say, you know, I would put my heart into this. But one of the most interesting things that I hear over and over and over again on these shows, I have heard it dozens and dozens of times, maybe a hundred times. They'll tell their life story about how they were on drugs or alcoholic or homeless or they lost their job and they didn't know what they were going to do. Or they were in an abusive relationship and tried to get out of it. Or their life was just going nowhere. And then somehow they got into the food industry. And most of the time they start washing dishes or, or just, you know, bussing tables or something. And they work their way up and they fall in love with cooking. And I have heard these contestants say over and over again these words. Food saved me. Food saved me. I'm standing here, they'll say, because food saved me. And as I was reading this passage again, I realized, isn't that what Jesus is saying to us? He comes, the bread of life, Offering himself to save us. To give us life. To free us from the bondage of our sin. And all of the things that hold us slaves, as slaves. Set us free. And this morning we come to this table. To engage ourselves maybe for the first time or the thousandth time. With Jesus the bread of life. And we do this because we believe that what Jesus offers us, offering himself, is God. And life and transformation. And that we believe that David is right. When he says in the 34th Psalm, taste and see that the Lord is. Is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. As we eat and drink this morning, may God fill our minds, our hearts, our spirits, our bodies, every part of our being 
with Jesus, the bread of life, who is good. Gracious Father, we thank you for your mercy to us, for the gift of Christ, who is food for our souls and every part of our being. We pray, Father, that you will pour out the abundance of your blessing on the bread and the cup of which we are about to partake. We pray that it will be food for our souls and that we will come in thanksgiving, in trust and surrender, feeding on Christ. And may we find life and joy in your blessing. We pray this through Jesus. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, meeting with his disciples, he took bread. He gave thanks to the Father in heaven and then he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And on the same night he took the cup. Again, he gave thanks to the Father in heaven and gave it to his disciples, saying, Drink from this, all of you, for this is my blood, which is shed for your sins and the sins of all people. Every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. As you're released by Rose, come to the front, tear off a piece of bread, dip it into the cup, eat it, and then you can return to your seat by the outside aisles. The altar is always open if you'd like to stay and pray. If coming to the front is difficult for you, we have trays and bread and cups. We're happy to serve you in your seat. And I also have gluten-free wafers here. If, uh, if you would like those, just let me know as you come to the front. We practice open communion at the Wesleyan Church. This might be the very first time you've ever worshipped here. But if you come today with your heart open to God, with a desire in your heart to, to feed on Him and to be nourished by Him, then you're invited to come and receive these gifts from our gracious, loving, Heavenly Father. Behold the Lamb who bears our sins away, slain for us. And we remember the promise made that all who come in faith find forgiveness at the cross. So we share in this bread of life, and we drink of His sacrifice as a sign of our bonds of peace.
his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.